Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Wednesday. It is October 11th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortaro here with you up until noon today. As we start hour two, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions and get things started here with the Arizona Diamondbacks as they are hosting the Dodgers tonight. If they win, they sweep the Dodgers and move right along to the NLCS. So let's get to the question. Do the D-backs finish the sweep of the Dodgers tonight at Chase Field? The masses are continuing now on the yes side of things, but down a touch, 64% of the vote, no trailing at 36%. We will officially provide our answer to that question around 1130. Tossing it on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals have been outscored 54 to seven in the fourth quarter. Who is most responsible for the Cardinals being outscored in the fourth quarter in four of the five games? The players out in front at 71.4% of the vote the coaching staff trailing at 28.6%. Twitter at KDOS AM 1060 if you'd like to cast your vote. As I mentioned, the Diamondbacks, they're looking to sweep the Dodgers tonight, advance to the NLCS. It's a Lance Lynn start for the Dodgers. Brandon fought for the Diamondbacks. Just taking a look at Lance Lynn, he does have extensive playoff experience from his time in St. Louis. He also has had two appearances in 2018 when he was with the Yankees, one appearance in 2021 with the White Sox. Over the course of his career, he's 5-5. Five and five. He's had eight starts with a 5.28 ERA in the postseason. You know, obviously, I think you tell me if you agree here that it was absolutely massive for the Arizona Diamondbacks to get their major run support before the starters even got out there for them. They they chased both those pitchers early in game one and game two. So giving Merrill Kelly quite a cushion, giving Zach Gallen some run support as well, even before they took the mound. So I'd have to think that the Dodgers looking at Brandon fought his career, what he did previously against the Brewers that they're going to want to try to do the same thing. Well, however, you know, he's going to have to, uh, you know, Fott's going to have to pitch before the Diamondbacks come to the plate. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes uh, tonight. Uh, the fact that uh, I totally agree that it certainly helps Kelly and, uh, and Gallen, who have both had not good histories against the Dodgers, when you're going to the mound with a six-run and a three-run lead before you ever throw a pitch, that makes things a little easier. Absolutely. Uh, you know, would there be anything that you would do uh, if it were Dave Roberts uh, cleanup wise to try to get the bats going early, to try to get to Brandon fought early, uh, to kind of try to flip the script and flip the narrative on how this game has been going? So would you do anything different lineup wise to try to get especially, uh, you know, Freddie Freeman and Betts going in the series? 
I don't think that has anything to do with it. I mean, they've been batting first and second the entire season, and they've been two of the best players in baseball. Yeah, if it weren't for the Cunha and his spectacular numbers with uh, with the Braves, uh, you can make a case that uh, you know Betts and Freeman should be you know, next. You know, Cunha is going to win the MVP. I think you can make a pretty easy case that uh, you know Betts and Freeman should be second and third in that list. You're not going to change your lineup. I mean, those actually the first five guys in their lineup. You know, Muncie has a terrible batting average. He bats fourth or fifth depending on whether it's a right-handed or left-handed pitcher. But he's productive. He has you know. I'm guessing I don't even know this for sure. I apologize, but I'm guessing he has like 30 some runs in that ballpark and close to 100 runs batted in. But their first five hitters are tremendous. But really, the rest of their lineup is very pedestrian. So you need everything you can from those guys. And if they're not hitting, which is a rarity, and it's been a rarity for the first two games, and that's obviously benefited the Diamondbacks. But uh, I don't think there's anything that Dave Roberts. Everybody wants to bash Dave Roberts, and I bashed Dave Roberts before when he had a full deck, and he doesn't have a full deck with starting pitchers, or quite frankly, uh, you know, I don't know, probably I'm going to be completely out of line here numerically, but I think this is the weakest Dodger lineup, at least from top to bottom, that we've seen for a very long time, at least 10 years. Would you insert Kike Hernandez into uh, the starting lineup? For who? I don't know. <laughs> okay. No is the answer to that. Uh, no matter where Kiki plays, unless he hits like three home runs in a game, he is probably going to hurt you defensively. Uh, so then flipping this on to the Diamondbacks side of things here, obviously the bats are, are going. Um, you know, I have some numbers here. They came from uh, Sarah Langs, and she was just talking about this postseason here. And 48.6% of runs scored have been via the long ball. And certainly the long ball has been good to the Diamondbacks. And they did well uh, in that game two against the Dodgers of getting some runners in scoring position home too. Yeah. Um yeah, the long ball thing, they really didn't depend on the long ball very often in the season. I don't really pay attention to those kind of numbers as the percentage of home your runs scored on home runs. But, you know, they did a lot more things other than hit home runs. But that's been the biggest difference in the postseason for sure is that they've been – I think it's safe to say, and once again, I don't have numbers to back this up, and I'm sure all the people that are into the metrics are pissed off at me anyway because uh, I'm not Mr. Metrics. But, you know, I can guarantee you their percentage of runs scored in the in the postseason coming on the long ball are much higher than they were during the regular season. Uh, a couple of other notes here from Sarah Langs when we were just talking about pouncing first. Uh, teams to score first this postseason have gone on to be 14 and 4. Teams that out homer their opponents are 11 and 1. Uh, so that uh, contest, though, between the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks tonight, 6:07 p.m. on TBS. When it comes, I'd like to know what the, I'd like to know what those numbers are over time. I mean, I'm guessing that the home run thing. I'm almost certain that that's been going on for you know, most baseball history. In the postseason, if you hit home runs, you're going to win more games. Uh, you know, so you know, like I, that, those numbers would be especially interesting to me if we had a comparison of what the, what the uh, you know, average is over X number of years as opposed to one week of baseball playoffs. 
When it comes to going back to yesterday, the Rangers eliminated the Orioles in three straight games following a 7-1 to win. Dean Kramer, uh, one and two-thirds innings pitch, hit six runs, one walk, two home runs. Nathan Avaldi was back to being great. Nathan Avaldi, seven innings, five hits, one run, seven strikeouts. Well, he's been great Nathan Avaldi throughout his playoff career, whether he's been in Boston or now in Texas. He's had two tremendous starts to begin this postseason, I believe it's now eight or nine and one that his uh, in games that he has started that his team has won the game, whether it's in Boston or Texas now in the postseason. So he's uh, stepped up and he obviously win healthy. And we were talking about him in tremendous terms early in the year this regular season when he was dominating. We also thought that he was pitching way too many innings. I remember right before the All Star break. I mentioned he was on pace to throw 225 innings this season, and this is a guy that's had two Tommy John surgery uh, surgeries, plural, and uh, thought there was no way he would continue and be able to stay healthy. And right after that, and hope I didn't jinx him because I don't believe in the jinx crap anyway. But you know, it's amazing that within a week or two after I said that, he was on the injured list. Uh, So for the Rangers here, they are moving on to the ALCS. Uh, Now, this is another little fascinating tidbit here. The Orioles, this is also coming from Sarah Lang, so she's doing a great job uh, helping today. The Orioles were the 17th team to reach the playoffs, having not been swept in any series of two-plus games during the regular season. 2020 was removed from this. Uh, They are now the second team of those 17 teams to become swept in a playoff series. The other team happened to be the 1998 Padres, which was in fact managed by Bruce Bochy. Well, they haven't been swept, the Orioles, in uh, any series uh, since last May. I mean, May of 2022 uh, in any series. Uh, Since basically they made some roster moves and, you know, Adley Rushman kept in the major leagues. He had never been swept in any series in his professional, no, not his professional, his major league career as an, as an Oriole in any series, any like a three-game series or a two games, any series. They'd never been swept until this one. Also, Bruce Bochy has now won 13 consecutive postseason series. So the question for the Rangers here. Is Max Scherzer back and able to pitch? I know he wants to get out there. If you saw some of the video content of him going absolutely nuts in the clubhouse celebrating with the team, uh, he definitely wants to be out there as well pitching, just whether or not is he healthy enough to make a return and, and how effective could he be? Well, Rosenthal talked about that last night in the late innings when you know, the game was out of hand. The game was out of hand in the second inning because you know Brandon Hyde, unfortunately, left uh, Kramer out there in an elimination game to give up six runs, which is inexplicable. I mean, the first uh, sign of uh, issues or whatever, you got to have your bullpen ready to go. He didn't. Uh, He should have a pretty good idea that after the 15 pitch uh, at bat to low in the first inning that maybe maybe Dean Kramer doesn't have it. I mean, he got out of that inning uh without you know major damage but they should have had somebody hot and ready to start the second inning in the bullpen he didn't do that and uh pretty much pretty much completely eliminated any chance that the orioles had to win last night 
So I've gone so long, I forgot what the question was. I'm sorry. Uh, just, you know, Scherzer getting back out there, being oh, able to Scherzer, pitch. Oh, Scherzer, Scherzer. Yeah, so Rosenthal, <laughs> back to the Rosenthal part. Uh, sorry, I couldn't help my – I did do one more. I, I praised Brandon Hyde all year long and said great things about the Orioles. I was so disappointed. And, boy, was I wrong about that series from the start. It's just team, a team and a manager completely in over their head in the first time in a playoff situation. Back to the Rosenthal thing. Uh, you know, they were talking about there's two guys, John Gray, uh, another one of their starting pitchers, who's actually been very good for the majority of the season. In, uh, was injured towards the end of the season, placed on the injured list. They're almost sure that he's going to be ready for the next series. They're not sure about Scherzer, no pun intended. Uh, he threw his a couple bullpen sessions, and I don't think they really know. And uh, I think Rosenthal is the best in the business at these kind of things as far as the information. He's covering this series, and he's, like, doing the game yesterday. So, you know, he's uh, you know, close to uh, what's going on there because he's there. Uh, so, yeah, he didn't really – they're hoping, I think, is probably the best way to put it for Scherzer. And then, again, we have no idea you're going to get – I'm sure they don't either. What are you going to get out of him if he actually is able to pitch? You know, the gray thing, uh, the John Gray thing – is they're much more – they seem to be completely confident that he'll be ready to come, come back and pitch, and they knew he was going to miss at least one round of the playoffs. And, you know, I'm guessing that uh, maybe they didn't even think they'd still be playing at this point. But they are, and uh, they haven't lost a game in the postseason, 5-0 and zero now, and uh, they've destroyed the Rays and the eight, and the Orioles, the two teams that had – did they have the two best records in the American League? I think they did. Uh, the Orioles did for sure. So they've beaten both of them and haven't lost a game so far. And really – have only had one close game. And I, I still think the Orioles, you know, they blew that first game. They should have won that game. But, you know, they got bludgeoned in the last two games. The Astros, they had a gem yesterday against the Twins, 9-1. to Christian Javier, five innings, one hit, five walks, nine strikeouts. Sonny Gray, four innings pitched, eight hits, five runs, one walk, six strikeouts, and two home runs given up. And all the Astros hit four home runs. So the Astros take a 2-1 series lead. They'll play today. Jose Urquidy going up against Joe Ryan, uh, 4-0-7 start today on FS1. Another kind of baffling pitching situation. I'm not sure why Sonny Gray's still in there after he had nothing in the first inning. Uh, I guess it, it wasn't an elimination situation, but uh, yeah, pretty close to it uh, to some extent. Uh, but uh, you know, he gave up four runs in the first inning, including the monstrous home the first of the – I believe that both of Abreu's home runs yesterday went at least 440 feet, if I got this uh, number right. Uh, they were just blasts. And uh, the first one of those were on, you know, just a hanging nothing. And, in fact, uh, I think they were arguing whether it was a sweeper or a curveball. The pitch was just hanging there. It was so bad that they couldn't even really determine what pitch it was. Uh, so, but he stayed out there, and, you know, he actually wasn't bad after that, but the game was over at that point. Javier, uh, five shutout innings. He only had point, one hit, but walked a bunch of dudes, and uh, he walked five, in fact. Uh, it's amazing that he got through that uh, with five shout-out innings. He's got – we've talked about him a lot, especially last year in the reg, in the postseason when he made a, you know, such an impact on them winning the World Series, is that even from like inning to inning, and I think yesterday was kind of almost batter to batter, uh, he just has electric stuff and he has no command. <laughs> he has no idea where it's going. And yesterday it was either pretty much a walker or a strikeout. Uh, he had nine strikeouts and five walks. That's hard to do in five innings, all those things. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of pitches. 
and uh, making it through five innings without giving up a run was somewhat of a miracle, but it was also kind of speak to stuff. He got guys in two strike counts when runners on base and seemingly struck guys out the end innings. Uh, I should have looked this up, actually. I'm guessing uh, the five innings that I think I'm for sure, I know he struck out the final hitter in at least a couple of those innings, and maybe three or four of those innings he got ended with a strikeout. After the crazy bonker events from Monday, the Braves Phillies all tied up 1-1. The Braves, uh, well, at least from this morning, I haven't seen anything here recently, have not announced a starting pitcher yet. I don't know if you've seen anything this afternoon. Uh, going up against Aaron Nola for the Phillies, that's a 2:07 start, so that's coming up here shortly. Uh, looks like Bryce Elder has been named the p- pitcher yeah. for the Braves going up against Aaron yeah. Nola today. I believe that was actually named yesterday. At least uh, the first I heard of it was yesterday. And it was going to be Elder almost for sure. I don't think there was a whole lot of choice to the uh, Smith Shaver, who is 20 years old and uh, wasn't even on their roster. And well, he was on their roster on and off a few times during the regular season. But I don't even think he was in the rotation and again until like the last week of the season when everybody else got hurt for the Braves and he had to pitch somebody. Uh, so I think this was going to be Elder all along. And so for these these two, do you wish this could have been a seven-game series just to keep these two teams playing against each other? Yeah. Well, I actually think this is the World Series. Um, Yeah, maybe I should uh, change my tune after watching the Astros yesterday because I look like last year's Astros for one of the few times this season, quite frankly. Uh, But uh, I'm not sure about the the other Astros pitchers, especially Valdez, whether – yeah, he's going to have long-term success in this uh, postseason, no matter how long they go. But yeah, I think that uh, at least entering the in the playoffs, and when we figured out that the Braves and Phillies were going to play, uh, these are the two teams that are playing the best right now. And I'd wish they play like the best out of like a hundred. So what the, that would be fun. <laughs> Let alone it's so five-game series. Going back to what you were talking about last hour. This series, the, the fact that these teams are only playing five games is a tremendous case for this ser- this round to be a seven-game seven series, best of seven. Uh, and the bats finally woke up for the the Braves. Uh, you know, Zach Wheeler was pitching a gem, and then uh, they were able to get to him there late, and then the, uh, the bats broke out there for the Braves. Well, they only got one run off of Wheeler, and, uh, but uh, the – the bullpen, which has been pretty good for the Phillies for the at least the end of the season, uh, did not come through, and uh, it was a pretty much disaster. And then there was the wild final play of the game uh, that ended up in the double play with Harper. I don't think it was really his fault. I think that ball was. If you're a base runner there, I think it's uh, a. You don't think there's any way in hell that Harris is ever going to catch that ball, <laughs> so that's part of the problem. And then I think it was difficult. They showed a, a you know a field level angle of that play from like the infield. I think it was hard to de- for Harper to determine that that ball was actually caught until it was too late for him to you know get back to first base safely. Yeah, I don't think at least for my when I initially saw the play, I wasn't blaming Harper, uh, you know, that he's running the bases, et cetera. Um, I think it was more impressive, one, of the catch, two, that he fired it in. Uh, the third baseman was backing up the play uh, because That's I think right. Harris said, you know, just in general, that he didn't know where to go with the ball. He just saw a bunch of white right. jerseys and fired it there. <laughs> and so the third baseman backing up the play, and then he was able to get get him out at first. So just a lot of helter-skelter chaos. Um, I, I can't put any blame on Harper there. 
Chaos is, chaos is a good word. First up, I can't imagine that Harper, right there, when the ball was hit, I think that if you're watching on television, there's no way you thought there was going to be an out. Uh, Harris is a tremendous outfielder. Uh, maybe you know, after watching this, pretty easy to say, is he the best center fielder in baseball? <laughs> but uh, he obviously made a great play there, and then he has a good throwing arm, and I don't blame him for just you know, getting it in there and figuring that those guys can figure out what the hell to do with it. Uh, but Riley, who hit the home run to give him the lead in the bottom of the eighth inning, was the guy that uh, you know hustled enough to be able to you know, eventually retrieve the throw and make the throw to first base to double up Harper. Absolutely. Uh, so that game with the Braves and the Phillies, but the series all tied up 1-1 is a 2.07 p.m. pitch on TBS. And then just recapping um, some of the other contests here. Then you have the Astros and the Twins at uh, 4.07 p.m. on FS1 and the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks at 6.07 p.m. on TBS. We will answer the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks poll question around 11.30. I know we went a little bit long here in this segment, so we'll still find some room for some phone calls. 602-260-1060. If you give us a call now, we'll get to you on the other side of the break. In addition to that, I had been promising the NFL news uh, all the way back from hour one, so we'll get into that here on don't the other. Don't let the people down, Kayla. We've been promising this. You know, I have a tendency, maybe, <laughs> To, to let people down, so we'll try to avoid that from happening on the other no, side of the on. break. <laughs> That's a complete lie. You never let people down. Ever. We'll do that next here on KDOS AM 1060. Have you downloaded the KDOS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Dude, Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is male chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. Eleven twenty-eight, right here on KDOS AM ten sixty online at KDOS ten sixty dot com, and with the KDOS ten sixty app powered by SuperBook Sports, it is the extra point on this Wednesday, October eleventh. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you, and right now. We're not letting anyone down. We're giving the people what they want. The news and notes from around the NFL it's here. Time. I know, right? <laughs> here, here it is. Uh, you know, it's not great news because uh, there's been a lot no. of players put on the IR, a lot of key players, a lot of fun players to watch. So we'll start here with what's going on with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Anthony Richardson was put on IR with a grade three AC joint sprain, a sprain, I should say. Uh, it's about a four to six week timeline for an injury such as this. This season for Anthony Richardson, 59.5% completion percentage, 577 yards, three touchdowns. He's done a great job of limiting those interceptions. One interception, seven sacks, 25 carries, 136 yards, and four touchdowns on the ground for Anthony Richardson. You know, I think he he was always going to be very raw, uh, very, uh, you know, Shane Steichen has done a great job of trying to to bring him along and you're going to have some good you're going to have some bad but I think overall for me watching watching Anthony Richardson he hasn't been asked to do way too much he's been playing within himself yeah I have a little different view of him I think he's been the most overrated player in the NFL to begin the season uh, he doesn't throw an interception because he throws uh, a lot of passes that aren't close to anybody 
And I wasn't joking last week when we uh, talked about, you know, I think he's thrown more passes that have been closer to the cheerleaders and the fans and actually anybody on the playing field. And so I'm not surprised he hasn't thrown many picks because the ball's not close to anybody. He may, I think he's, I think a lot of people uh, have overreacted to Richardson's, you know, he, he's, in, if you just watch highlights, he makes spectacular plays. But if you watch any of the Indianapolis Colts games from start to finish, and God bless him, he hasn't been able to finish. What is it, three games now he hasn't been able to finish out of the five? Uh, but if you start watch from start to finish, I don't think anybody with an objective viewpoint is really wowed about him as a quarterback. Um, he makes great plays, and then he makes a lot of really bad plays or plays that are no chance to succeed. So you know, I think they actually have a better chance of winning games this season with Gardner Minshew as the quarterback. If you're a Colts fan for this year, or if you're betting, I'm much more interested in betting on the Colts with him, with Minshew as the quarterback, than Richardson. In fact, I had Tennessee last week, and I uh, thought I was in big trouble as soon as Richardson got hurt and left the game. When Minshew came in, I thought I was pretty much done. Well, to your point here, what's going on with the AFC South? The Jags are three and two, the Colts are three and two, the Texans two and three, and the Titans two and three. And if memory serves me right, this rounds out this week between the Colts and the Jaguars. They're uh, they're they're playing against each other, right? They, that I'm not positive. They opened that's up the not, season oh, yeah, they, against they, they, each other. Right. They, yeah, as soon as I said that's no, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, as, soon as, as soon as I said that, I said, "Oh, I know they played the first game," <laughs> and that's actually a game that the the Jags tried to lose. That game, um, they made the big fourth quarter rally, right? That yep. game. So, you know, they they were you know, they were the inferior team for a large chunk of that game. But uh, uh, we're gonna get more Jonathan Taylor this week. And one of the things we talked about yesterday and during the fantasy segment with John McKechnie is, uh, "What do you do with Zach Moss?" <laughs> so. The dude has 800-plus yards in his last eight games, and now he's going to sit? Okay. Well, the trade deadline's in like three weeks, so I would assume that the Colts, I was going to say if the Colts are smart. Hmm. Okay, that hasn't always happened over the years, but if they're smart, at least in the next three weeks, uh, Zach Moss will be in another team because there are a lot of teams in this league right now that need a running back. The Bills, they lost Tredavious White two weeks ago. Now the London game has turned out to not be great for Buffalo as they've now placed linebacker Matt Milano on IR and defensive tackle Daquan Jones on IR. Some statistics here for both of these players. I mean, first of all, I think Matt Milano is like the heart and soul of that defense. Then statistically... 30 total tackles, 18 solo, two passes defended, two interceptions, and one forced fumble for Milano. Uh, Defensive tackle, Daquan Jones, he actually leads all defensive tackles in ESPN's pass rush win metric at 27%. And he's double teamed a whopping 70% of the time. And then just overall for this Bills defense, they rank second on ESPN's pass pass rush win rate at 58 percent yeah i wonder what that would be if they just take out the washington game <laughs> i'm not joking because it was like 70 percent of the time they hit Minshew. or excuse me uh, uh hal in that game so um you know that, that the problem with early season stats and now the problem is with these bye weeks I, i've already heard a few stats this week on espn and and uh, NFL Network that he has the most passing yards in the league. Well, not everybody's playing the same number of games now. 
So that needs to be yards per game is the way that, that they should be doing that, but they don't. And, you know, I guess they just the, the Main Street general public doesn't do that either, but that's the more accurate way to do it. Uh, but I had no idea that Jones was that effective as a pass rusher, quite frankly. And uh, not only did they lose those two guys, they lost three other starters they injured last week on that field in London, which was it, just uh, atrocious, apparently. Both teams, even the Jacks, who won the game, complained about the field at the end of the game. Uh, then it comes down to Austin Eckler. He said that there is a 99% chance that he's playing on Monday night for the Chargers. He has not played since week one dealing with that hamstring injury. Yeah, I don't think this is too big of a surprise. And, you know, they were, I guess some people surprised they didn't play a couple weeks ago, but they had a bye this past week, so there was no reason to really rush him back uh, at that point. And uh, so let's face it, they're not going to – as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are in Kansas City, nobody's ever going to win that division no matter what. Uh, so you're just trying to play for wild card positioning if you're in the NFC West. And I also think – that I don't know how much this has been discussed or you know social media or wherever. I haven't seen it too much, quite frankly, on ESPN or NFL Network, where I get my football information mostly, uh, or a couple of podcasts. But, you know, the AFC was supposed to be this gauntlet. Uh, how good's the AFC right now? I think there's a lot of disappointing teams. Yeah, that is very true. Um, when you think, I mean. Okay, just talked about the Chiefs themselves, and as long as Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are in that division, like the division has clearly been theirs. But I think there's an argument there that offensively, at least, they're it, it's a bit of a struggle for them. Uh, they're not looking like they have in the past. So you could have, a, and that on the flip side of that, maybe the defense has been the best it's ever been in the Patrick Mahomes era. Uh, mm-hmm. But but then you go down the list of AFC teams, uh, you know, who like immediately jumps off the page to you because you have the Dolphins with what they can do offensively, questions on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, how does all of that offensive firepower translate as the weather starts to turn and you get into November? Um, the Bills, we just went through a bunch of different uh, injuries that they have sustained. So there's definitely just a lot of question marks. We just saw the Bengals here. Uh, you know, are they kind of turning the corner with some health for Joe Burrow? Have they maybe found their stride? So there's a lot of questions there uh, on the AFC side. I think you can just throw, you know, well, at least you and I, I think we concurred on this that the the AFC North was the best division in football, and I think you make a case that all four of those teams have been disappointing so far, uh, and you know, including the Ravens, who they they should be five and zero. They just flat blew two games. Don't remind me. Um... When, <laughs> when it comes, though, to I, I wanted to look this up because I didn't want to say it would not be correct, but didn't. So the game that uh, the Bills and the Jaguars just completed, I think the Titans and the Ravens have to play on the same field this week. I think they're doing that. I get all confused. You know, they got a couple different sites in, you know, in the UK. Uh, so I'm not sure if this is the same field or the other one. So I'm not I'm not positive. I haven't not to uh, not dived into too much uh, handicapping for Friday. The Eagles they have opened up the 21 day window on linebacker Nakobe Dean. Uh, that could definitely help this Eagles defense. That's true, and then they've got their secondary. I think they're they're healthy now, right? Their main four guys, I believe, played for the first time in one game simultaneously was last week in L.A. If not, that's going to happen this week. I think they were playing last week. Uh, I think that's been the biggest problem with the Eagles' defense so far is uh, 
when you don't have a unit that is intact, that's going to make a difference, and I think that's been their biggest issue. Uh, the Falcons, they traded a 2025 sixth-round pick for wide receiver Ben Jefferson and a 2025 seventh-round pick uh, from the Rams. So I, I, get... don't, I don't understand this trade. <laughs> don't they already have too many wide receivers and they go out and trade for another one? Yes. Who was pissed off because he wasn't getting any touches in L.A.? Yes. He's not getting any touches in Atlanta, is he? No. I don't understand this. I saw this came across. When it came across yesterday, I thought it was wrong didn't make any sense and it like a day later or almost 24 hours later it still doesn't make any sense to me i'm completely baffled on this not surprised that jefferson got traded but you know god trade him to charlotte or you know the carolina panthers which is they play in charlotte so that's somewhat correct but they need receivers that they were so desperate that they supposedly were trying to get chase claypill in in carolina trade him to the trade him there I mean, if you're the if you're at the Rams, you're just taking anything you can get for them at this point. But I mean, that, that that was just a strange destination, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. Uh, Devon Achan, uh, he has been placed on mm. IR after he's kind of taken us all by storm with his uh, to the house ability. Yeah, I was way ahead of the game on him back in A and M days. Not even his last year at A and M, but a couple years ago. I mean, he just makes uh, – he made wow plays at A&M, but a lot of people didn't watch A&M because they weren't supposed – they were not as good as they were supposed to be. Uh, but, you know, the fact that he uh, – and he's such – you know, he's a small dude, and he breaks tackles too. It's not just you – know, you know, everybody goes crazy about the sprint speed, which I understand because uh, he's part of the 400-meter relay team known as the Miami offense. But he also broke, he caught my attention last year as much as anything for breaking tackles, and God knows he had to because their offensive line wasn't any good, and it's still not any good at AM, by the way. Uh, and then the, finally here, the Vikings worked out eight players on Tuesday, which included quarterback Colt McCoy. Uh, the quarterback Ooh. room, you have Kirk Cousins. Then Nick Mullins, he's dealing with a back issue. And then they just released on Tuesday, I believe, Tanner Morgan from the practice squad. He's in the NFL, Tanner Morgan, the place to play for the University of Minnesota. My God. Okay, he played in Minnesota for a little like six years in college. And never once did I thought that dude's an NFL quarterback. I didn't even think he was a good college quarterback. Anyway, okay. Uh, and I didn't even know Mullins was on the team. So I'm learning all kinds of things here. Uh, I would assume this might be in part because everybody in, uh, in the world seems to think that uh, Kirk Cousins is going to be on the uh, – on the uh, Minnesota Vikings anymore on October the 1st, which is the trading deadline. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. The speculation, right, actually, hasn't the Falcons been linked to him? Haven't the Jets been linked to him? Well, but Desmond Ritter is going to the Hall of Fame now after one good game. Desmond Ritter, he can continue playing all the home games, and then Kirk can play all the road games. But then it's going to be a coin flip for who plays the prime time games. But that's not even right about Ritter because he had a game and a half at home where he sucked earlier this year, but he had another game he was like 16 out of 17 or whatever it was. We answer today's poll questions on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. James Out West brings NFL, NBA, MLB, and local sports talk to you Monday night starting at 7 on KDUS AM 1060 and the KDUS 1060 app. Poll 
question time here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's time to dive into what's happening tonight from Chase Field. Do the Diamondbacks finish the sweep of the Dodgers? Yes or no, Bob? I'm going to say no. Um, I think the Diamondbacks will eventually win the series, obviously. Mathematically, it's in their favor. I just can't bring myself uh, to to say yes when Brandon Fott's facing the Dodger lineup, and I just cannot uh, you know, foresee a good performance there. You know, he's had some good times here, uh, some you know more than I can't remember. Did they send him back to AAA twice this year? I think it was. Anyway, uh, he's had some better moments the last time since he's come back from from Reno, but I just uh, you know between that and the fact that. Uh, I don't know, I hate the the do factor. <laughs> the the Dodgers offense is do the do factor going on there. I I would just be stunned and you know pleasantly stunned. Even though I wish that for radio purposes, it's best if this series went for like three or four game, four or five games at least. Uh, the weekend that would be great. Uh, as far as this show goes, uh, but I just I cannot. I would be very surprised if Brandon Fott shut down the Dodgers. Yeah, Lance Lynn versus Brandon Fott tonight. Uh, The Diamondbacks have been doing an incredible job of pouncing early on the Dodgers starting pitchers, taking advantage of getting a lead, uh, chasing their pitchers, getting to the bullpen, putting just a tremendous amount of stress now on the Dodgers at bats, putting a tremendous amount of stress on the bullpen and and decision making, etc. So now that opportunity is completely reversed because the Dodgers have the chance to uh, take the at bats at first against Fott. So I think if he can find a way to, to get through that first inning clean, uh, then maybe there is, uh, you know, some, some hope here for, for how the rest of the game is going to unfold. Uh, I do think it's important that, you know, in order to win this game, that you do get off to a good start. I know that, you know, he struggled and found a way to get through two and two thirds in that Brewers contest. Um, and the Diamondbacks were able to go on to get a victory. The bullpen was just absolutely sensational in, in that contest and in that series. So, you know, there's there's always that that opportunity and that hope. And, and you're coming in uh, 2-0 and you, you have the mindset of let's just close this thing out. Um, at some point, though, the Dodgers bats, especially from a Freddie Freeman and a Mookie Betts, are, are going to. Uh, light up and so I think that it is going to be an uphill challenge here for for the Diamondbacks to get the sweep yeah I'll add one thing that uh, game against Milwaukee you know if I'd had the bases loaded and nobody out to begin that game in the first inning and somehow got out of it uh, I would uh, you know, be very surprised if uh, he gets into a bases loaded no out situation in the first inning against the Dodgers that they end up scoring zero runs in part because J.D. Martinez, who we talked about, Finn and Betts, who obviously have not been good so far in the series. Uh, Martinez, going back to the end of the last you know, couple weeks of the regular season, he's just uh, you know, almost always on base or he hits home run. He hit a home run against the Diamondbacks the other day. But uh, he's healthy, and he's been tremendous in the season for the Dodgers. So he's usually hitting fourth or fifth, depending on uh, the lineup that uh, they chose that day. I'm assuming he's going to hit fifth today because it's a right-handed pitcher with Fott. But uh, that's maybe the guy that uh, you better hope. Uh, if you're a Diamondbacks fan, 
uh, the way that Martinez is currently hitting the ball, that uh, you don't want runners on base if he's up. You know, at least the other counterpart to all of this is that, you know, Lance Lynn, he's been better with Dodgers, but there's opportunities to get to him. Uh, he's been giving up home runs. The bats have certainly been on fire here for the Diamondbacks. So uh, that maybe this ends up just being a, a game where both teams end up getting to their bullpen early, early on because uh, it's going to be a high scoring contest. Maybe, even though I wouldn't pay much attention to the Lance Lynn numbers. Uh, you know, he also in Los Angeles has a far better defensive team and the joke of a defense he had to play uh, in front of in Chicago, which was uh, for two or three years running now has been just a bunch of dudes who should be detonated hitters. And they, with the exception of Luis Robert in center field, uh, basically, you know, there hasn't been a defense that's worse in baseball. You know, the White Sox the last, you know, three or four years. I don't know if that's, you know, I don't care about the metrics. I don't care about the errors or whatever. Those guys just don't make plays. The Dodgers have actually, I think that's one area that they've actually gotten better this year than the past in the, in the last few years is I think they're better on defense now than they have been. The masses are on the yes side of things, 64% of the vote, no sitting at 36%, KDUS1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at KDUSAM1060, who is most responsible for the Arizona Cardinals being outscored in the fourth quarter in four of the five games. In totality, it is 54-7 to seven as well. The options being the coaching staff or the players. You know, the coaching staff obviously has a lot to do with play calling. And I think that we saw in that Giants game how it seemed like maybe there was a little bit of conservatism coming in as opposed to staying aggressive. And so it's just about learning those nuances here. We saw it flip the script there in that Cowboys game, being able to uh, take advantage of uh, getting a big wide open play and, and things of that nature, staying aggressive. So we saw uh, maybe that there was some growth there. I, I do think, though, when you you think about things in the five game set here for for what we're talking about that the commanders game almost has to be thrown out just because uh you had josh dobbs for only a few days and there was just a lot of still unsettled and unknown things heading into that particular game so just putting all the pieces together before game one i think before week one was very challenging um the giants as i mentioned here we already saw that then in that 49ers contest i mean they're the best team in football so uh, i'm not certain that you were going to be able to put up 20 points on them in the fourth quarter uh and then of course here the Bengals, they just didn't capitalize and made too many mistakes so i think that things turned on a dime when that pick six happened and then on top of that here yes you want the coaching staff to be able to make the decisions you want the coaching staff to put the players in the best possible positions to have success but sometimes the players on the field they could be in all the, the they could understand everything they need to do to be successful it's just do they have that next level to be successful do the cardinals have superstars that carry you through fourth quarter games and i think we know that they don't have the superstars yet that the roster is still being rebuilt under this new uh you know new coaching staff new front office here so i think for me it's about is the coaching staff gaining the the knowledge that they need to be prepared when roster does come together the way that they want it to? Are they gaining confidence, making good decisions, uh, understanding certain things in situational events so that it can come together when the roster is ready to go? 
I know I'm the one that wrote this question. I don't really think there's even an answer, really, any, really a topic for discussion, quite frankly. And I understand they've been outscored 54-7 to in the fourth quarter. I know they have one touchdown in the fourth quarter in five games. Uh, but you know, the coaching staff, until the inexplicable coverage or lack thereof, uh, Jamar Chase last week, I actually had done a – I thought they'd done a tremendous job keeping the Cardinals in most games uh, to begin the season. Uh, basically, the Cardinals have the worst roster of talent in the NFL. I know that there's teams that have played worse uh, than the Cardinals at this point, but as far as just talent, they have the least amount of talent in the league. I think some of the other really bad teams, as far as zero-win teams – they have more good players than the Cardinals. For whatever reason, they're not winning games, but they're not. This is the worst talent roster roster of talent in the league, and this is kind of like uh, you can't make chicken salad out of you-know-what. Uh, so this is clearly a player personnel issue, and they're trying to get better. They claim players on waivers every week, which is what they should be doing to try to improve the talent on the, the uh, talent on the roster. But it's just a you know, non-NFL competitive team as far as roster and just talent right now. And uh, the fact that they have one win is impressive. I, quite frankly, don't know how many more wins they're going to get the rest of the season. The masses are on the player side of things at 71.4% of the vote. The coaching staff, 28.6%. This is on Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060. The Cardinals are preparing to head to Los Angeles to face the Rams this Sunday. On the other side of the break, we will wrap up this Wednesday, October 11th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. One more to go next. Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. Wrapping up this Wednesday, October 11th edition of Extra Point. Right here on KDUS AM 1060. And Bob, it is thank you time. Okay, we're going to have to whip through this. Uh, so, you know, I won't go through all the usual deal here. So thanks to everybody that needs to be thanked, including Scott Wolf, who covers USC for Inside USC, Sound of the Day, courtesy of TBS, ESPN2, Fox, KBME, Tex 105.3, ESPN, and also NBC Sports. And a special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Who with Dave Rooster Beerstein from 5 to 6. When it comes to baseball today, the Braves at the Phillies, 2.07 p.m. on TBS, the Astros at the Twins, 4.07 p.m. on FS1, and the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks tonight, 6.07 
7 p.m. on TBS. Some numbers. Major League Baseball wildcard games averaged 2.25 million viewers Tuesday and Wednesday. The 2022 average for the same wildcard series was 2.73 million. The most watched series was the Marlins versus the Phillies, which in game one, 2.99 million average viewers and 3.24 million viewers in game two. That'll do oh, it. They watch, they watch the world. The most people watch the worst series. My God. <laughs> Phillies fans, right? I guess. As always, thanks for watching or listening. God, you got watching on the brain now. Thanks for listening to us right here on KDOS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, of course. Uh, anyway. What's new? What's new? Damn it. <laughs> we'll talk to all you the, tomorrow. All the time. <laughs>